Have you ever seen the impossible accomplished? Um, it's pretty great when it happens. Several years ago, my brother and I were moving into a, an unfurnished top floor flat. And somebody said, oh, do you want a sofa? There's one going, somebody from church was getting rid of a sofa. We said, oh, yes, please, thank you very much. So a um, couple of mates and I got hold of a van and we drove halfway across London and we got this sofa down several flights of stairs and then into the van and then back across London and then up the lovely wide staircase, one of these great sort of um, big townhouses with a huge staircase that went all the way up until the last bend of the staircase, of course, gets suddenly much, much narrower and you've almost virtually got a duck um, to get round the corner. And we were lugging this sofa up and we must have been for the first five minutes it was like if you've ever seen that scene from friends where um where ross where they're trying to get the sofa up the stairs and ross is shouting pivot pivot and they, we were shouting pivot at each other uh, for about the first five minutes uh, until that stopped being funny anymore because it was just it wasn't it wasn't pivoting and it was not going around we tried it we came back down we went back up we tried we turned it round. we sort of got it on that way around we swapped places there were three of us i'll go up here you go I, think, I, I wasn't looking at my watch, but it felt like it was 20, 30 minutes of... Because we, there was not other, another option. We didn't know, there was nowhere else for this sofa to go. It had to go up there. But after all this trying every single different which way, we just collapsed in a heap on the staircase, sweaty, because it was the middle of summer, and you know, at the top of a stuffy staircase. It's not going to happen. It just sort of came to this realisation, one by one, the three of us. It just... This sofa... <laughs> is not going up these stairs. And um, I don't know who it was. Somebody said, we, we were about to just go back down and admit defeat. Somebody said, God, let's just give it one more go. And who knows what happened different. I'm sure I don't know whether the sofa shrunk or whether the staircase suddenly just got magically a little bit wider, but it just went straight round the bend. And we, the three of us, just shouted together as it went up those final few uh, stairs and it, it, it arrived in the flat where I, to my knowledge I'm assuming it probably is still to this day because I can't imagine anybody could have got that sofa out of that flat once it was in but it happened and Hudson Taylor who was the great missionary to China said that there are three stages to any great work of God first it's impossible then it's difficult and then it's done. It's done. And we've got this vision, making Jesus known. We believe God is doing a great work here in this town, the beginnings of a great work. And uh, there are two practical aspects to it. We were sharing last week, if you were with us. If not, you can catch up online. We're having two practical aspects to this vision. There's a slide here that's saying uh, that we're going to launch a second Sunday morning service in the new year. Um, so it's wonderful that the church is growing, and just like anybody, the cells kind of multiply and expand and, uh, uh, and divide and so on. So we're going to become two on Sunday mornings, and hopefully on the way in, I don't know whether there's one handy, because there's, there, is a, there is a slide. This is a, is a way of kind of um, hopefully finding out from people, you know, what are you up for? We're sort of hearing feedback that, um, you know, it'd be good to go to two services, and this isn't a kind of... Um, Signing your life away if you're if you're thinking of you know uh, uh, of filling in this sheet and telling us what you're up up for it's more of a kind of a sort of a uh, an expression of interest because in order to make two services happen in the new year it's a great to have the opportunity to, for everyone to lean in and to commit um, so do grab me afterwards or one of us if you'd like to either take that 
slip away with you, have a think about it, bring it back another week. Or maybe you already know, right, I'm up for, I'm really looking forward to this new nine o'clock service um, kicking off again, or the 10.30 is where I think I'm going to feel at home. If you know the answer to that question, just scribble a little thing in there uh, and, and let us know. And it'd be great to have um, people really kind of leaning into that. That's the first practical aspect. And the second is... Um, that we are undertaking a building project. And we're calling it Building to Serve because um, unlike um, uh, some <laughs> churches which find themselves in the situation where they end up, everything they do is to serve the building. We're doing all of our activities just to keep the lights on and the heating going and the doors open. We don't want us to serve our building. We love our buildings, but we want the buildings to serve this vision of making Jesus known. And so we've got two phases, um, which is the next slide. And phase one, um, there were a number of us yesterday uh, raising money to, um, for the refurbishment of 11 Cannon Square, this building which has been bought um, just uh, on the corner by the War Memorial. And thank you, huge thanks. I think we should give a little round of applause to everybody who chipped in yesterday and who made crafts and cakes and cards and everything and organising. Over £650 was raised at the Taste of Christmas yesterday morning, which is absolutely fantastic. And if you haven't had a chance to buy your chutneys or your fudge or whatever it is and you'd like to chip in, there's a little uh, sort of stash of stuff as we have our tea and coffee after the service. Um, phase one is, is the um, refurbishment of that building in order to provide office space and meeting rooms and kids space to get them out of the marquee uh, in our garden where the climbers group particularly are starting to get a little bit damp and mouldy. Um, and then we want to reorder this building we love this building and we want there to be a loo and a kitchen and for um, the space to be kind of made more accessible and sustainable for the future. So as we launch out on this vision, um, thanks Peter, you can click on to um, the next slide. Um, we're wanting this wonderful chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 to, sh- to shape us and to mould us and keep us on track um, as we Uh, are setting about this vision as a church. And we looked last week um, at this key uh, verses, verse 5 and 6, which are really a summary of what the church ought to be about. We're summarising it as making Jesus known. Verse 5, what we preach is not ourselves. We we don't want to come to it with our own uh, agenda and, and so on. We want to submit to what God is doing. Jesus Christ is Lord. For God who set said, let light shine out of darkness. God is the one who in the beginning said, let there be light, and there was light. He did a miracle of creation. And that God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. That's what this church, um, we pray, ought to be all about, making Jesus known. And this morning I want to encourage us that despite the seemingly impossible nature of this vision, despite the scale of the challenge which we face, so that actually if it really is God's vision which we're serving, not our own agenda, as Paul says in verse 5, then he will enable us to accomplish the impossible. And so we're going to focus the, these uh, verses this morning. Verses 7 and 8 is what we, I, I want us to kind of particularly hone in on. Have a look down at verse 7. We have this treasure. What treasure? The treasure is, uh, is what Paul says in the previous verse, this light of the knowledge of God's glory. We're not particularly special in ourselves. We're just jars of clay. Uh, but we are carrying something of infinite value and worth, the light of the knowledge of God's glory. We know Jesus. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed about all manner of things, 
but not in despair. Persecuted, perhaps, some of us. But we haven't been abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. I mean, Paul didn't shy away from the reality of the hardships which he faced. If you go on to read the rest of the letter, when he says hard-pressed, he really means it. In chapter 11, he tells us he's been to prison, he's been flogged, he's been exposed to death again and again. He's been lashed with the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked, all in a day's work for the apostle. I spent a night and a day in the open sea, constantly on the move, in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. Laboured and toiled and gone without sleep, hungered and thirst, cold and naked, besides everything else, failing to sing daily the pressure of the concern for the churches. I mean, when Paul says he was hard-pressed, he really, really meant it. It's a little bit like uh, um, Shackleton's famous uh, advertisement trying to recruit men to join him in this expedition to the South Pole where he says men wanted for hazardous journey small wages bitter cold long months of complete darkness constant danger safe return doubtful I mean you might have thought isn't it maybe sort of wouldn't we just gloss over some of the challenges which we might face or maybe sort of dress them up a bit or maybe sort of you know put a bit more of a positive spin on things Paul but he he doesn't shy away from explaining just how challenging the mission of the church really is likely to get. He says they were hard-pressed on every side. And I don't know about you, hard-pressed, maybe we haven't been shipwrecked or beaten to death with sticks, but you know, we, we feel, I think, probably in lots of ways, hard-pressed financially. I mean, I don't know about you, I'm pretty terrified about the idea of raising several hundred thousand pounds to refurbish a grade two listed derelict building. Uh, You know, we're going to need something like 150 grand to do that. Where's that going to come from? Um, I don't know. Um, But, and that's not even taking into consideration the money that we're going to need to raise to reorder this church building. Maybe that's going to be two, three, four hundred thousand pounds uh, in order to be able to do the work that we need here for St Michael's. Half a million quid? You know, the idea, to be honest, of raising that kind of money from us, from the wider community, from grants, you know, that seems fairly impossible from where I'm stood. But we face a much bigger challenge, uh, according to this passage, than... You know, just a little bit of fundraising. <laughs> Paul would probably laugh at that. The real challenge is not a financial one. It's a spiritual one. Because making Jesus known is, humanly speaking, impossible. Think of Jesus where he says, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man, which, you know, in global terms, that's all of us, most if not all of us, to go through the eye of a needle and the disciples go impossible then can't do it and Jesus says yeah it is impossible but with God all things are possible but it requires a miracle a miracle verse 6 says equivalent to the miracle of creation itself why why is it so hard why is it impossible well Paul explains here because verse 3 The gospel is veiled. In fact, verse 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds 
of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ who is the image of God. I mean, if you ever had that experience of sort of trying to share your faith with somebody, they're just not interested. You You know, God is so good, you know. Is he? You know, they're just, people just don't care. I don't I can't tell how many times I've had a conversation that goes something like, you know, I meet somebody, they find out from the church, I'm from the church pretty quick, normally in that conversation. They go, oh, they're the church. And they, people are positive about it. And they go, oh, you know, I, I'd like to go to church. I'm quite spiritual. You know, I'm not an atheist. I, I believe there must be something. You know, when we die, we don't just, you know, that's not just it. There must be something. I said, well, why don't you come along? I think you'd be really pleasantly surprised. Come along on Sunday morning. And, uh, uh, you know, we're a really friendly bunch. We went by. I think you really enjoy it. Why don't you give it a go? And people go, yeah, yeah but it's rugby tots. <laughs> and, I, and I go and I sort of smile and nod and, 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 um, and understandingly sort of acknowledge that, of course, you know, rugby tots is terribly important. And inwardly, I'm going, look, if I said, would you and each of your family like one million pounds... Yeah, be, I could, do you know what? We are free on Sunday morning. I'll be there. You know, but actually, we're talking about something of infinite more value and worth than you know, a million pounds. We're talking about the treasure in jars of clay, of the light, of the knowledge, of the glory of God, Paul is saying. What we actually have, the church has, is the knowledge of God. You know, isn't that the most valuable thing in the world? You say to somebody... Do you want to meet God? Do you want to know the answers to the deepest questions of the universe? Would you like to have your past, you know, completely wiped clean, sins forgiven, conscience cleansed, those things which have defined us up to this point can be completely made new in the power of the Spirit. God can give us a new purpose and a meaning for living here, empowered by his Spirit in the present. And look forward to an eternity You know, an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, says uh, Peter. That can't be bought. That's of infinite cost and value. You know, I'm as excited about extracurricular activities as the next parent. But how are people not able to see that what the church has to offer is the most valuable thing in the world? And the answer is, verse 4, it's actually a spiritual thing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. It's the enemy who's at work making people spiritually short-sighted. We haven't got our eyes fixed, as verse 18 encourages us to have, on what is eternal, just on what impacts the here and now. Think of the parable of the sower, you know, with the seed, the wheat grows, and, but the thorns are choking the... What is, what, when Jesus tells the parable, what's the thorns that are choking the, weed, the seed and the good fruit? It's uh, the worries of this, of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth. The God of, of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so we can't see the light, but... The amazing thing is, we've got a God who can achieve the impossible, who does miracles, who spoke creation into existence and said, let there be light, and he can open blind eyes. And that's us. If we're a Christian here this morning, how come we're a Christian? It may be because we've been going to church all our life. Maybe we grew up going to Sunday school. Maybe we did an Alpha course. Maybe we've got a Christian friend who was praying for us. All of those things are probably true. The ultimate reason why we have the knowledge of God is because God did a miracle in our heart.
hearts. He opened our blind eyes and he's the one who has made Jesus known. We're just servants, says Paul in verse 5. We, we preach Jesus Christ. We're just servants for Jesus' sake. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. Imagine how much our attitude would have changed trying to get the sofa up the stairs if we had been told it definitely will go. It absolutely will. And not only that, but the world's strongest man is going to come along and give it a shove in just a moment. That would have changed our attitude completely, wouldn't it, from being dejected? And is it really possible? I'm sure that's why Paul's outlook in verse 8 Given that he has this all-surpassing power from God, not from us, that means he can say, yes, we're hard-pressed on every side, but, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, sure, but not in despair. Yes, we're persecuted, but we haven't been abandoned. We're struck down, but we are certainly never going to be destroyed because Jesus has promised to build his church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And God is in the business of doing miracles, opening blind eyes, and shining the light of the glory of Christ into people's hearts. And I believe that, look at verse 15. It talks about the grace that is reaching more and more people, causing thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. It's my tentative belief, I mean, Paul, Paul wouldn't, his mind would be blown if he saw us today, wouldn't he? Think, Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, church of, you know, 50, 100, 150 people out of a city of hundreds of thousands of people. You know, <laughs> his mind would be blown if he could see the way that more and more people, you know, for us, here we are today, are spread around the earth. Um, and we might be thinking, well, actually, is that going to continue but it's, it's my tentatively held belief, and I hope we can spend a bit more time on this in the new year, but I have recently come to sort of change my mind about what I think is the spiritual trajectory of this country. I don't know how you picture things, but I have assumed, I think for most of my, well, all my life, that actually God's grace was going to reach less and less people, that actually I've been sort of operating under a mindset of decline, that the trajectory of the country is going sort of, you know, that we were a Christian and now we're sort of less and less, fewer and fewer people are, are going to be Christians, that that decline was going to continue. Um, the sea of faith, as the poet Matthew Arnold once described it, was full. The sea of faith was once full and round the earth's shore lay like the folds of a bright girdle furled. But now, as he described the decline of Christian faith in this country, now I only hear its melancholy, long, withdrawing roar, retreating down the vast ages drear and naked shingles of the world. Uh, many people have, have sort of pointed to that poem of the withdrawal of the sea of faith and said, well, look, basically that's the trajectory. The country began to lose its faith in World War I and the trenches, and then World War II happened and that kind of compounded it. The 60s, the sexual revolution, the invention of the pill, you know, culminating towards the end of the 20th century in the in, in 9-11 and then the four horsemen of the new atheist apocalypse and Richard Dawkins and atheism and you know that was just basically it was like a one-way trajectory and fewer and fewer people were going to come to receive the light of Christ but I actually and I really hope we can spend more time on this I don't think that is right I don't think that trend is actually going to continue because as one secular commentator recently pointed out the thing about tides in reference to that poem about the withdrawal of the sea of faith. The thing about tides is they can come back in again. And actually, if you look at history, that is what has happened. 
And there's a brilliant book, which if anybody wants to borrow this, or you can just buy your own copy off Amazon, but you're welcome to borrow this if, if anybody is interested in it. This is a book called The Surprising Rebirth of Belief in God, subtitled Why New Atheism Grew Old and Secular Thinkers Are, are Considering Christianity Again. There's a podcast that you can listen to if you're more of a podcast person. Or read this book. It is absolutely fascinating drawing to get together the various of the threads, which a lot of people are pointing out. And you might be able to see that the kind of the picture on the cover is of a of a tide, and he uses that uh, analogy of the sea of faith. He believes it's coming back in, and do you know what? So do I. That making Jesus known has been harder. It's been getting increasingly difficult for about a hundred years. But I think actually we may be about to see that the tide is about to start coming back in. We're about to have the wind in our sails again. If, uh, as verse 7 puts it, this all-surpassing power from God and not from us. I mean, I don't know what you think of that. I'd be fascinated to talk afterwards with you whether you think that, that might happen. But why is this church growing? I mean, have you thought about why, why is that? I'm sure there are a number of factors that could be pointed to you know, humanly speaking, not least Hannah's ability to organise the Sunday club rotor. But I think the real reason why this church is growing is because there's a hunger. I think people are spiritually hungry and thirsty, especially since COVID. People are not satisfied with the empty answers which they've been given for the past several decades. They are spiritual. They're not religious. And actually, but spiritual knowledge is what's being after. And this is the treasure which Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we have in jars of clay. If God is in the business of doing miracles, (laughs) if he can open our blind eyes, he can certainly open the wallets of this church family and the grant-making bodies who we're going to apply to if we want to raise some cash. I'm holding on to that belief. The first name for God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. Um, I was talking to an old friend uh, last week who's a vicar down in Devon. Their church is growing as well, they're finding. And uh, they've been going through this process of reordering their wonderful old but expensive church building as well. He said he was completely terrified at the start of the process um, uh, when he knew the scale of the challenge. But if he had, he said, if he knew now, if he knew at the start what he knows now, and I was expecting him to go, if he knew at the start what he knows now, he would never have started. He said the opposite. If he knew what's happened at the start, he would have, he would have launched into it because it's been such a faith-building exercise. God has provided yeah, they had some additional expense that they needed, £30,000. The congregation and the grants and stuff had already been, people had given generously. We're never going to get £30,000. And the PCC said, let's go and we'll have a gift day. And the people gave £50,000. You just couldn't believe it. So if that is possible, if God has got this all-surpassing power and we are in line with his vision, because what we're preaching is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, then that means that he is able to accomplish the impossible. And though we are hard-pressed on every side, we will not be crushed. So as we close, let me read again this incredible paragraph that uh, Paul closes the chapter with, verse 16. Therefore, he says, we don't lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Our light and momentary troubles. Amazing that he can summarise everything that he's been through like that. Light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen. Don't be blinded by the God of this age, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary 
but what is unseen is eternal. He wants us to have a long-term perspective. That's why we got the pair of binoculars as a kind of picture behind us for this. To have a long... It's so easy to just be fixated on the here and now, but, but if we... You know, never mind eternity. If we, where might God take us in the next five years as a church family? Yeah, building, the, the money will have come in. The building will be done. This, there'll be a loo in here. There'll be a kitchen. That, there'll be an office down there. The kids' groups will be, be in there. Of course, we'll have... You know, that, that'll all be done. But much more importantly... The light will be brighter. The knowledge will be deeper. There will be, I believe, more and more people who have come to encounter the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, as we're going to sing in a moment. It may not look like it now, but the tide is going to turn and the earth will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray.